0: self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague.
1: Hello there, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 74 for Monday, the 31st of July, 2017. My guest today is Meg Cowley, who was first interviewed in episode three of this podcast, that's over a year ago now, in April 2016. At that time, Meg was experiencing her biggest success in self-publishing, having created a series of adult coloring books, which was selling very well at the time. However, the bottom dropped out of that market, and Meg had to do a very sharp pivot to set her writing career back on track. Prior to the breakthrough with the adult colouring books, Meg had written two young adult sword and sorcery novels, and two illustrated children's books. She's now returned to writing fiction, but is still using her artistic skills to generate an author income. On the day that this podcast is released, July the 31st, 2017, it's actually three years to the day since Meg published her first ever book. So I started by asking the obvious question, how's it going three years on?
2: Three years on, a lot has changed. Um, So when I put my first book out, I had no idea what I was doing. And it was all about, um, I just wanted to have a book in print published in the real world. And and so I I met that goal on July 31st, three years ago. And how wonderful. And and then you get bitten by the publishing bug. So I sort of delved into um, writing some sequels. um, And I ended up putting book two out about a year later. and again didn't know anything about publishing, didn't really, you know, it didn't happen. I didn't really make any money. It was, yeah, it was just out there and no one really cared, which is the way it goes unless you promote your books. Um, So I I ended up, which I think I touched on um, when I spoke to you last time, I, I was ill and that's how I sort of stumbled into coloring books. They provided a really sort of therapeutic way for me to be creative and do something that was hopefully a bit more profitable and um, it went quite well for a time, and I sort of thought, oh, I'm I'm getting the hang of this publishing thing, maybe I'm learning a bit more of the ropes, and it started to become a bit more of a possibility that it wasn't just putting a book out there, or it wasn't just a hobby, this was something that I could actually make a living from, um, because I was already deciding that I didn't really like a day job, (laughs) I'd quite like to do this all the time, and that maybe actually I I could do that. Um, And unfortunately... I picked a really, really stupid genre to dive into, which was colouring books, which um, was basically a fad, a trend, and it came as fast as it um, went, really.
1: Um, oh, okay, hang on. Before just, you beat yourself up too much, though, first of all, let's yeah. just stop a moment and congratulate you for being a writer for three years, because that's fantastic, isn't it?
2: Oh, I suppose so. I mean, when the point I'm at now, it's it's what I do every day, so I, I suppose it, it feels very mundane to me. Um, it's, you know, I'll publish a book and it's like, right, it's a book out onto the next one. But I suppose when I stop and think about it, it's like, oh, wow, you you wrote a book. You published a book. That's pretty cool.
1: So if we go back to three years ago, I just think uh, it must have felt like a huge achievement to publish that first book. And now, as you say, you're just rattling it out. Like there's no no tomorrow. I mean, wouldn't you have been proud? Because we're, we're going to go into some of the difficulties you've had, and I don't want it to be negative, because wouldn't you have felt no, no. proud of where you are now if you Fine. could have looked three years into the future?
2: Yeah, I would, yeah. Um, I, I think the the writer and me and the, the sort of creative entrepreneur would have wished that I'd known now. Um, uh, sorry, I'd have known then what I know now, so I could have got to now three years sooner. But, yeah. You know, um, let's pretend I'm a patient person who isn't very self critical I, I would be proud I'd sort of just think right, I want that now um but I suppose this is the fruition of of everything I've ever wanted i've I've got rid of my day job um i, I do this full time i I get up on the morning and I get to write stories and that that just blows my mind when I think about it that's
1: that's really awesome I wanted to come and talk to you again because um, you've just had such an interesting year since we last Ooh. spoke and it hasn't all been it hasn't all been highs but but actually yeah. you know I, I this is the whole point of my podcast is that you know I'm not just interested in talking to the people who are who are you know throwing money around and bathing in it at night because it's mm. it's more educative for people in our position to hear what what real people go through and how they work through it. And you are an excellent example of somebody who is pivoting and is working through uh, this particular problem that you had. When we last spoke, you were doing really well with the colouring books. And then the, the bottom just sort of literally fell out that market, I think, didn't it?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, sort of just as I was I was finding my stride and, and um, putting out new material and getting books and collections together, I was building my fan base and I was really ready to sort of take it to the next level. Oh, actually, I was going to make income from this that would allow me to, to work at it full time. And that's when it all just sort of went belly up, really, which was a bit of a shame.
1: <laughs> but you were so, doing, you were doing a sort of.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was doing all right. Um, I, yeah. By any sort of stretch of the imagination, I was selling books and people enjoyed them, which is kind of the point. But it just it kind of faltered just as it began, really. Um. It, it, I think that's that's the risk of you jump on a trend, whereas the fiction that I'm now working on is a much more sustainable business model. It's got a much steadier supply and demand, basically, which is is a better business to be in
1: can't remember whether I admitted this to you last time we spoke, but um, under a pseudonym, which I will never reveal, when the loom hmm. band craze started, I published a loom band book because nobody had really got them <laughs> out at the time. And I just thought, you know what? I'm at the beginning of a trend here. I'm just going to – I rattled it out over a weekend. And I just thought, I'm going to yeah. test this. I want to see how it goes. And, and I would um, liken that to the colouring book phase. And, and my, what I learned from doing yeah. loom bands is that the minute you see – well, loom bands or coloring books, as it was in your case. The minute you see them in the pound shops, you know that it's done.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Because um, if they can churn out and sell a book for a pound, and my base cost is two pounds seventy-five, well, <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to work out that it's not really a viable business you What what I ended up looking towards was okay. Well, I can't cater to the mass market. That's not who I'm aiming at. I'm aiming at a colourist who wants a quality, a real original illustrated product and but even so there wasn't there wasn't enough market there for for me to take it further. It it came down to a, a difficult decision of basically having to sit and evaluate, right, to make this a success, to be able to make an amount of money where I can live comfortably, I'm going to have to devote so much time to this and so much effort to even make a fraction of what I'm hoping that you know, it's just not a viable business. So, as much as I love it with my heart, my head's saying this is crazy. Walk away now. Cut your losses, and that's what I did, and it was a fantastic decision.
1: Yeah, but it's very hard to do, isn't it? It's very hard when you've had success. Because when we spoke last time, you tasted success. You were you were making <laughs> money that you could live on. It was exciting, and it's very hard sometimes to cut something loose. And uh, and it is a hard decision, but but you made it. And there must have been a lot of soul searching with that.
2: Yeah, completely, because it it happened at a time where I had unexpectedly just walked out of my job um, and it was like, right, I've got to make a business of this. Um, Oh, my God, what do I do? I need money. I need money now. What can I do to make money now? Five minutes ago. And it's sort of it was a really, really hard place to be because I had to really sit down and very honestly evaluate, actually. What can I actually do? What what can I not do? Um, and be really honest about my strengths and my shortcomings and, and what was realistic because, you know, I, I wanted to do all the things, you know, illustrate all the books, write all the books. And it's just like, well, no, if you spread yourself too thin, you're never going to really get anywhere. So you need to focus on on one thing. Um, and I, I do know people who are still selling and, and making good money through coloring books and other related illustrated products. And, and that's fantastic. I'm really happy for them. But... I just couldn't see that being viable for me and how I work. So it was, yeah, not a very easy decision, but it was a necessary one.
1: It's interesting that the gentleman who was on the week before you last week, Stephen A. Mackay, who is somebody I met on the Amazon stage, you know, when you and I met up last time in Manchester. Oh, right, yeah. And I I was doing the gig in Edinburgh again. They wheeled me out again. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and Stephen uh, had sold, well, he was, I think he's sold about 100,000 books now. So he was you know, a best seller. Nice. But and this was, this is really interesting. You know, he said to me, he still has his day job. Uh, he, he compresses his hours to work four days a week. This is even with that number of sales. And he still believes mm-hmm. that the bottom could drop out of his world in that he said, you know, I've done a series of four. It sells well, but who knows anything I might do in the future might, might tank. So even at that right. level, you know, he was he was protecting the downside.
2: Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I wake up and I, I check my dashboard on like, this could all just disappear tomorrow and I would be screwed. But you can't live in that mindset. You've just got to get your head down and think, right, I'm I'm doing what I know and believe using the best information I have um, to be a successful strategy. I'm just going to keep applying that and hope hope it it will work out if it doesn't. Well hey I'm back to square one and if it does well oh you know I didn't spend my time worrying but yeah it could drop out it could not who knows.
1: And the whole um well, the title of this podcast is journeys and the whole point about a journey is that it ebbs and it flows we have days when we're happy walking and could walk forever and, and days <laughs> when frankly all we want to do is sit down you know it is it is a journey and you've been on a really interesting one so far which is which is why you're here today again Meg. <laughs> <laughs> so okay well, what's it like then because you you had that thrill and you were on the cusp of that when we spoke last time you've had that thrill most of us just look at our dashboard and you know a little bit of tumbleweed comes by and we think right okay we'll try to get another day whereas you had that what must be an electric thrill of seeing those sales going up and staying up for a while and and bringing in oh. a really good income and then <laughs> and then it and then it went down again what, yeah. what What? that's a roller coaster isn't it that must be hard to do it
2: sure is yeah it was definitely very hard um i mean at the best days i i would just sit there and refresh and it would just go up and i'd refresh again and it would just go up and it was just like oh my god this is the dream i'm living the dream and i thought oh I'm never coming off this cloud this is just the best um and very naively i was just like well i've made it i can just sit back and that is not how publishing works and um, you absolutely have to keep your foot on the gas so when it went downhill and i was putting out more products and i was putting in more effort but actually i was getting worse results even though i was building my fan base and doing everything i thought i could it, yeah that, that really sucked you know when you're getting paid less than a pound an hour um that's pretty grim <laughs>
1: And and you are doing some wonderful work because I follow you on social media. You're very good at social media, and I did. You know, I love seeing all your drawings coming up in your feed all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it's very entertaining as somebody you know watching Thank it, and seeing what you're up to. So it, it, it's it's fa- you know fabulous work. But you know, I'm, I'm looking at the drawings thinking, oh, there was you know there's a lot of work going into this. So what what kind of drawing rate are you able to sustain when you when you're trying to you know bang that level of work out?
0: i um, it's
2: about a hundred hours per book. Okay, I can manage about a drawing a day um, and and sort of a few admin tasks around that so it's it's very time intensive Um, it's actually more time intensive than writing a book so uh, my second book in my Caladan trilogy I I did a very very detailed production schedule that took me 24 hours to plan and I wrote 30,000 words of planning that took 81 hours to write about 80,000 words um, fully edited Um, that was from start to finish so it's about 100 hours for a a full length epic fantasy novel and it was sort of at least that to go into a coloring book um so yeah i mean i I love drawing and i love writing so it was it was not really a hard choice to flick from writing to drawing especially when i thought you know there's a there's a market place here but it does take a lot of effort and if you're not getting the the return on investment you know what's the point it's not a business it's a hobby
1: Well, uh, yes, well, absolutely. But these are hard business decisions that people have to make. And yours is such an interesting Mm. story because you've taken it on the chin and you've made them. And, um, Mm. you know, and and people do need to learn from that. You know, I I constantly do it. I'm going to reach a point with my books where I'm going to review and and I'm going to do the madness review, frankly, which is am I mad doing this in terms of the (laughs) hourly hourly rate? You know, is it time you gave it up as a bad job or do you press forward? And Mm. I'm sure you must have done that a couple of times by the sounds of it.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's been a constant and sense of re reevaluating where I'm at. And after I changed strategy, I, have, I had to just switch that voice off and, and crush it every time it spoke up because I wasn't earning money for a few months. I was investing in um, creating a sustainable income at some point down the line. But at that moment in time, I had nothing coming in. And it was really, really hard to switch that voice off and go, just believe in yourself. You can do this. You know, trust in the strategy that you've got
1: the other thing we should say is that domestic life goes on and we should congratulate mm. you because you've been married in, in the last year so congratulations yeah, on that thank you. but you know but there's there's truth in that in that when people try to build an author career you know we have real life going on i know I know you've yeah. been ill uh, this year yeah. uh, and and I know you've had illness in the past um I know that mm. you, you've been married this year as well uh, so so around trying to build this uh this personal life we're trying to build a professional life till we have partners and other people in our lives
2: yeah so, go big we... or go home right <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> how do you find that because you know here you are i mean you must be working a lot of hours at this as well
2: yeah um i i've actually cut down um that's been a conscious decision i've i've sort of i i'm sure we'll get into this but i ended up taking April and May this year off which was an absolute disaster because that was prime time for relaunching my, my fiction career and um, it's worked out well but it was a disaster to have to take it off and coming back I've had to say hey do you know what you can't work 12 13 hours a day six seven days a week it, it's not healthy for you it's not productive and actually you're doing yourself a disservice and more harm than good you, you need a balance between that personal and professional life um, it's it's a good thing to be driven and it's a good thing to be disciplined. But you also need to be driven and disciplined in your time off as well. So I um I don't you I think you've read my my blog for 2017 where I've sort of laid out my yearly goals and, and personal development is, is is a huge part of that. And making sure I'm appreciating my fam, uh, friends, my family, um, my relationship. I'm fulfilling my personal goals as well as my professional ones.
1: Yeah, I've got about four of your blog posts open on the screen. I haven't even said about those no. yet. <laughs> I'm ready to dig into those in a moment or two. So don't worry. They're all, they're all there ready to go because this is, this is what I think probably when you did one of these, I said to you, Meg, we've got to get you on again because we need to yeah, talk yeah. about this. And um, this interview's been quite a long time in the making, hasn't it? You know, getting it has, us, yeah. <laughs> getting us in the same place at the same time. Yeah. So um, so um, let's. Just, I just want to finish with the colouring books first before we move on. Do, you've got all the colouring books on your your Amazon author page still. Do, do they sell? Mm-hmm. They, there must be a little trickle still of sales from those.
2: Yeah, a bit of an organic trickle. Um, it's sort of down at about £50, 50 pounds or about, what was what that, $60, $70 a month. Um, it's you know it's a bonus i i've kind of written it off i don't even consider it um i actually probably am now regretting not setting up a new pen name to relaunch my fiction because frankly it messes up my um how tidy my author page is on amazon so as a business decision to to relaunch my fiction under the same name that i published everything under before is a bit mm, it's a bit frustrating now but what's done is done but yeah they sell a bit
1: Well, you you have reassured me with that because you probably um, heard me chuntering on about um, my thriller name, Paul J. Teague, my Mm. nonfiction, which is, uh, was it, P. Teague, and my sci-fi YA, which is Paul Teague. I think that's right. I I, I can't even remember. But I I, I put them all in the separate titles and and worried about that, thinking, you know, is it better to have them all in one place? You've definitely found better to have them separate.
2: Um, I in hindsight I would have put them separately because what you get is on your author page you get um people who like this author also like. Now that was corrupted and sort of polluted with lots of colouring book authors for um the first at least the first month or two of, of reading the fiction because of course Amazon was like, This is what these people also buy which is totally fair enough. But it also pollutes my um list of published works. So it's it's very sort of muddled between my fiction, which is um I'm really trying to create one distinctive brand um and chlorine books which is it just feels all over the place which is like just amateur one (laughs) oh one. I mean maybe you can get away with it with um like professional non fiction like you're doing and some fiction but with the balance that I have it's probably gonna take me a while to sweep my chlorine books down the list and off the first page. (laughs)
1: Could could you relaunch under a, a different name? Would it would it just mess things up too much now?
2: Yeah, I'd have to start again and that would really suck.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, this is, yeah, you're I'm, not, le- I'm, not, I'm not starting this again. <laughs> it's no. Kind
2: of working. I'm not going to break it.
1: But, um, what, but what you're alluding to here is this concept of also boughts, I think, isn't it, which is quite a big mm-hmm. thing yeah. on Amazon now. Could you just for people who don't aren't yeah. aware of that, could you just talk us through also boughts and how that works?
2: Yeah, sure. So, once you register a certain number of sales on your Amazon book, um it's somewhere between 50 and 100, I think, you you're also bought start generating for that product, so it tells people who visit your product page, oh, if you liked this product, people who bought this or looked at this also bought or looked at such and such a product. Um, so it, it does that on product pages, so there's no crossover there with my chlorine books, thank goodness, but on my actual author Amazon Central page, um, it under my profile picture it does list a lot of coloring book authors which when I sell enough fiction authors that will be replaced by um you know those but it's something to bear in mind that you want people to to have um those links to your page and and links to other people's pages because it sort of it helps you um, cross-pollinate traffic with other authors basically
1: okay now let's start to dig into these blog posts that you wrote because I think possibly the Mm -hmm. first one that caught my attention i mean i do you know i follow everything you do online like a nice stalker like a friendly stalker you know in, in a nice way but uh, um,
2: yeah the, you're one of my favorite songs, Paul,
1: it's great. oh that's good that's good but, you know, i'm always there looking thinking oh is it time to interview is this a person i should interview so um it is done in a nice way but um 8th of november 2016 your yeah. blog post i have no job now what is it yep. Meg, with you and jobs what is it because you don't seem to like them do you
2: no i don't like working for other people i've figured it out
1: <laughs> is that is that the problem though and, and and that presumably is what makes you and drives you as an entrepreneur
2: yeah completely because i don't want to have to work for someone else i i like doing whatever i want to do all day um which means that i need to make money doing that so i can pay the bills to allow me to do that every day um but basically what happened was um, I was still at my part-time uni job um, a year later. I hadn't quit because I was going to make a go of this author thing and it was going to be great and it was completely tanking, which was not so great. Um, and one day they turned around and basically just went, oh, your job kind of doesn't exist anymore. Um, do you want to take one of these other rubbish jobs? And I just thought, um, no, <laughs> And not really. And my husband um, basically just went, just quit. He said, what does it add to your life? And I said, money. And he said, exactly. What does it add to your life? I'm like, but money's important. He's like, well, you can just make money somewhere else. I thought, do you know what? You're right. Do I need a rubbish job that doesn't fulfill me and takes me away from doing what I want with my life? Actually, no. I can always get more money, but I can't get more time.
1: And that was the decision. Now, this is interesting because I'm um I have worked, uh, I've been self-employed for six years and because I'm such an old geezer. You know, I'll tell you what was a depressing thing. You know that photo we took in Manchester? Yeah. I look like your dad. Do you know how depressing that is for me? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 t- it's totally depressing. But So, uh, so I'm just alluding. You're to, only as young as we <laughs> feelful. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm just alluding to myself being an old geezer because <laughs> I, I'd worked for tw- uh, 20 years, uh, more than 20 years, you know, when I, when I went self-employed. And then I, I, I had yeah. not received a salary for six years. Uh, um, and then I went back to work uh, in, mm. in January. Well, it's only three days a week, but I went back to work. And um, so I've, I've kind of had that taste of freedom after 20, whatever it was, years of, of working. Mm. And um, I've, I, I really struggled to go back to work. And, you know, I'm really bolshy still at work because I, I'm so, <laughs> so used to doing things for myself. And yeah. uh, it is hard. And um, I am fairly mouthy. towing the line. Well, I'm not very good at it. I never really was, to be honest with you. No. Uh, you know, no um, meaning. <laughs> so it must be something in our makeups and our, and our and our personalities. But I tell you what I have found. Um, I, I have found that I actually quite like sort of bringing the money in on three days a week because I've actually found it quite liberating the, the rest of the time. So I work three days a week and all the bills and you know, all the stuff's taken care of. And then it gives me four days a week to work mm. on the, the things that are slightly risky. I've actually interestingly found that, why, you know, as you say, there's always that little tension about keeping your mouth shut. Um, I, I found it quite liberating, you know, after the constant sort of trying to keep the wolf from the door um, of yeah, six years that, of age. that early. was
2: completely the opposite for me. Really? Yeah, um, I found, and I only realised it when I quit and when I had that safety net completely taken away and that comfort zone, I realized that actually I had just been coasting along. I hadn't really been trying my best to make this a viable business. I'd just been basically doing a hobby and calling it a business, which is not the same thing. And it was only when I had no job and it was like, right, you actually need to get off your backside and make some money and make success of this. I thought, wow, there's hundreds of things that I could have been doing all this time to make this successful. So I found it, of course, it's that comfort zone that you've got the money there, but that's actually a bad thing for me.
1: So you thrive on the fear. That's interesting, you see, because the fear, uh, mm. I think, uh, you know, it's Stress just di- different personality types, isn't it? Yeah. I like to know yeah. that the cash is in. And then um, – well, So do I. <laughs> and then I – I mean, don't, It's liberating. Don't I get me wrong.
2: I love having money in the bank. But um, – and I certainly didn't want to quit my job without savings, put it that way. All oh, it kind of – it was completely opposite to the plan to basically walk out of my job with a week's notice and no back pay and no savings. But it was again with those necessary things um, that pushed me to to get out of my comfort zone. Um, having the safety net of the money there's all well and good, but you know it was kind of pointless having that job because I might as well have just worked full time for all the benefit it did in my creative career.
1: That that that's interesting. So the other thing I did learn about six years of self employment is that I would mm. work. I would walk away you know on the drop of a pin because I know mm. I know that I can make money out of nowhere now of course cool, it? it's a good thing to know you know i mean i mean i was a long time working you know 20, 20 odd years and um you do um when you lose the salary it is like um you know sucking off a baby's bottle or something you know it's like somebody pulls the bottle away and and, and then you say what am i gonna do oh, it sucks, isn't it? yeah it's yeah, very why, it's very the scary money? why is my bank account not going up yeah it's scary isn't it at first i i had yeah. panic attacks uh, a lot a lot when i mm. when i when i went and um but then over the the six years um you growing- it's really interesting going on to an you growing confidence, I think, knowing that you can spin cash out on a thing a lot of the time mm. do you feel that way no. yet? Have you got that confidence yet um no <laughs> but
2: that's that's kind of, it's um partly it's the fear of it's all going to disappear tomorrow, which I don't think ever leaves you, and um partly it's because um because I had to take the months out sick this year, um, things have started dropping off, and, and yeah, now I've got that anxiety of, oh my god, can I get can I get those plates back in the air? How do I do this?
1: So you don't regret leaving the job, even though it doesn't sort of solve it doesn't solve loads of problems for you, but you don't regret it. I take it.
2: No, it's completely crazy, um, and and I hoped in my blog post that you know it wasn't a complete mistake, but yeah, it, it's probably going to be one of the defining moments of my life. Walking away from that. Um, I I seem to be having one of those years where crazy things happen um, and not necessarily good things, but it all turns out for best, which is, I I guess, kind of serendipitous.
1: So after that, we move on to your your 2016 review. And I I love reading these reviews. (laughs) Uh, I tend not to have the courage to write one, but I do love reading. (laughs) It was uh, yours and Ron Vitale's. Do you remember Ron's? Oh,
2: yeah. I speak to Ron regularly he's lovely. Hi, Ron.
1: Great review, wasn't it? A, a brilliant review. Yes. when I read Ron's, I thought I've got to get you on, Ron. We've got to talk about this. Uh, so yeah. so honest. Um, yeah. You know, so much honesty. Don't we? Don't we benefit as a community from people being honest and not b- bullshitting? Excuse my language, but um, yeah, it, it, doesn't it help? We're not all six-figure authors, and
2: that's completely fine. We all have crap times, or we can't sell books, and you know what? One day we'll get there. But it's all right that it's not right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll be class of 2014 or whatever it is. There you go. (laughs) That's how I view it. Hopefully we'll all move up there together. And obviously some of us will fall by the wayside as we go, but um, there'll be a group of us. We'll be the Joanna Pens of next year or three years time or whatever it is.
2: There you go. Michael Anderley, I'm coming for you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, These guys are amazing, aren't they? They're just incredible.
2: Legends, yeah.
1: They are amazing. Um, now let's go to this 2016 review. there, this 2016 year review. Mm. So lots of pictures there of you, and it's very much colouring books. As you, you know, yeah. it, it's art. Well, because I, when, when you transition, when you drop the colouring books, you did for a while move into uh, into artwork. we were doing sort of portraits of people and things like that. Um, mm. was, was that sort of a when you were undecided? Was that a transitional period? What, what was happening there?
2: I don't know. That's just opportunism. That's people know I can draw portraits. So they commission me and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not going to turn down money. So I did some portraits. Um, and again, it just helps keep the bank account ticking over. It gives me money to put back into editing my books, things like that. So yeah, it's just if the commission comes along, I'll take it off it of in.
1: So in terms of, have you got that page open at the moment, the um, 2016 yep. goals? Is that one of the ones <laughs> that you had ready? Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, well,
2: I'm pretty sure we're going
1: to have the same four blog posts open. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet we have. Because yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, so, they're so good, and I'm putting them on your the sources page that everybody can read them too, because it's great stuff. Um, so <laughs> is, is it painful reading that Reflections of 2016, or, or you know, what did you take from that? Um, I was
2: probably a bit more self-critical than I ought to have been, but the core of it is there. you know, I was, I was berating myself because actually I had self-sabotaged my own mission, which is ridiculous when it, it, when you think about it, but yeah, I totally did. So it was a stern talking to myself to up my game.
1: But you say, I don't like to use the word failure and I don't want to discredit what I've achieved, but on reflection, 2016 Mm. does seem like a year of failure. How can it be Meg? How can it be with all those sales <laughs> and all that product producer? But I mean, it's a, I would rather describe it perhaps as a, as a temporary or a misstep is how I would describe it. Not a failure, definitely.
2: That's kind. Um, I, I suppose it seemed as a failure because I knew deep down that I hadn't done my very best. And to me, that's failure.
1: But what more could you have done? You worked your socks off during that year.
2: On the wrong things. Working hard is different to working smart.
1: Oh, yes, I know. But that's easy when you've when you've you know, got it the wrong way around. <laughs> uh, but don't you see though? you see you're, you're going to be all the better for that because you've learned from not theory, you've learned from practice. Uh, doesn't that make the lesson better?
2: Yeah, no, completely. I, I, I didn't waste a year of my life, but um, I, I perhaps wasted the potential of a year of my life. And that's a big price to pay and I won't make that mistake again.
1: Oh, I think you're very hard on yourself. I do. I, I, I mean, see,
2: but it's because I want the. I want I, I know exactly what I want, and I want to get there as fast as I can. And I, yeah, I don't want to hold myself back anymore.
1: But then, the, you see, the great thing, one of the things about writing um non fiction, um, I, I'm my, one of my most best-selling books, even above the fiction, is my Facebook um, guide that I've done. And, um, and I don't even want to sell mm. that. I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want to sell that. It was just something that I did as an exercise because I could and because I knew about SEO and things. So, so I'm, at the moment, the thing about Facebook is it changes every five minutes and, and it just drives oh. me spare. Uh, oh. and, and so I'm sort of thinking, you know, stop it, Paul. I know, I know it makes sense, but stop it. Um, But you see, Mm. because uh, when that book is out of date, so I haven't updated it since 2016, it's dead. It's like a cabbage rotted on a supermarket shelf. But your drawing books are an asset for you, regardless of, you know, what happens and and the fact that you've got fewer sales now. You have created Mm. an asset which you could still sell in 20 years' time.
2: Exactly. So there's a body of work there now. There's a portfolio of at least 100 drawings that I've got, and I'm sure in the future I'll find some way to repurpose those but for now that's sort of dead in the water it's it's like right that's that's something to put aside if i can use it in the future and monetize it in the future fantastic if not well you know it was fun while it lasted but yeah i, I do agree i'll i'll keep my coloring books there and um, selling just because why not
1: and whereas my facebook book will have to be taken off and that's it it was you know it was it made a bit of money like mm-hmm. your coloring books when it was there now it doesn't then yeah. it's hard luck and it's wasted so i, you know, I do think you've got to you've got to put that into context because yeah. with, with art you are creating assets and for instance you could strip out those images you could create uh cards you know b- uh, you know birthday cards gift cards things like that um there's all sorts of things yeah, you could potentially do i did with explore
2: them. that um i explored a lot of options to see if i could diversify my income streams using the same portfolio of art and it's basically just too much work for too little reward and um, the way that we consume art changes so regularly um that you kind of really have to be on your game to, to keep a pace with that and keep pumping out fresh material um, in the hottest trends. And it's just really, really hard. It's, it's a lot easier to write a book that people will read now because they like epic fantasy and in 100 years' time.
1: I think that you're very um, tough with yourself. Um, I thought I was tough with myself, but I, I heard you. Yep. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but um, do you not think that perhaps you want to be a bit kinder to yourself? Uh, because, you know, I, I, I think... You know, it's three years. Three years since you published your first book. You've got an amazing body of work behind you. You are surviving <laughs> as a self-published author. Um, you're living the dream. You don't have to go and do. Was it Tesco? I think you were working at when 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 yes. you were there. You're not doing that anymore. Every little helps. <laughs> exactly. But, nope. but But are you not? I know. I know you're not living the financial dream. But you know, isn't do not need to pat yourself on the back for for, for getting this far and lasting this long.
2: Um, I guess so. I. One of my big focuses this year is, is sort of the the personal aspects, and I am trying to be kind to myself. That is a massive, massive focus and recognize that I am doing things well and that I am succeeding and I am getting there and, and being sort of, um, maybe it sounds a bit sort of hippy-dippy, but, you know, being present in every moment and, and being very grateful for everything that I have in my life. And, and you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm really, really happy. I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful because I I live a very, very fortunate life and I get to do what I love. So, yeah, from that point of view, um, I'm not, not so harsh on myself. But, you know, I do want the very best of myself. I know what I'm capable of. Um, so I absolutely am not going to cut myself any slack in going and getting it, basically.
1: So I'm just looking at the comments on that article. You know, you've got people you know re- reading <laughs> that and, and, and commenting on it. I do think when people share as honestly as you have, I think it really um, is very informative and helpful um for mm. people. Did you get a lot of positive feedback? The more honest you are, do you find you get better feedback?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I've been quite honest with, with sort of what's not gone well this year with my illness and stuff. And to be honest, the the more I've reached out, the more people have, have responded and I've made some absolutely fantastic friends this year just by reaching out and yeah. Um we it, what What are Joe Cox's words? We have far more in common than that which divides us. And um, I think by being ourselves and not being pretentious, um, and we can make a lot, a, a lot more friends that way, and um, it's beneficial for everyone.
1: So let's move on then to your creative roadmap for 2017, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so you're you're putting the 2016 behind you, and yep. you, you're coming back reinvigorated. Do you feel reinvigorated by your plans?
2: Yeah, completely. Because I. I basically just scrapped everything. It was like, right, now I get, I get the chance to start from scratch. That's quite an exciting thing. And sort of think about, right, well, what career am I trying to build? How do I get there? You know, um, talking sort of one year, five year, 10 year terms. Where do I want to be? You know, big, wild dreams. And all right, where can I actually get to in the next 12 months? You know, realistically. So it's quite exciting to, to think about that.
1: You started writing fiction. Strangely, that was the first thing you started to write, and your books looked fabulous. Mm. I think you got two books when we last spoke, if I remember rightly, two, two in your yeah, two. um your fantasy yeah. series, hadn't you? Um, yeah. I think. And and I think had you done the covers, I think as well.
2: Yeah. No. I, yeah. I did the covers for them, um, which part of my business strategy this year was to completely rebrand. So again, it was being very sort of heartless and business minded. It, it was right out with the old, in with the new.
1: When you sat down then and looked at the pluses and the minuses, you were fairly sure you were going to return to the fiction. Um, mm-hmm. So, what, what was your what was your game plan, your strategy as far as two thousand and seventeen was concerned? Then,
2: write awesome books, sell awesome books.
1: <laughs> I said it. In
2: shop. Very much. Yeah, um, yeah I, I wanted to really make a dent in building a, a portfolio of high-quality fiction with great covers, um, with great writing, great blurbs that I could really build a a substantial fan base from. Um, So, again, coming back to that subscriber list, the most important thing for us to have is is a direct link with our readers. Um, And I wanted, by the end of the year, to be earning a full-time income, um, selling really sustainably and and writing um, sustainably as well.
1: So when you came back to those two books that you'd written – um, I know you mm-hmm. immerse yourself in podcasts and learning all the time as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> was there any
1: was there any need to sort of come back to them to refresh them, or did you reskin them with a cover and, and then work on the third book?
2: Um, I ended up book two pretty much stayed the same. That just got a new cover. Um, book one got a new cover and several rounds of editing. Um, I it was it's my first book. Um, It's the first book I ever wrote I am under no illusions It's probably going to be the worst book I ever write Because hopefully you get better with each one you do Um, But that also means that I have to work a lot harder For um, it to be the best that it can be Because realistically If people read that book And it's not good enough They're not going to read the rest of the series It doesn't matter that I think book two and book three Are absolutely amazing And they get five star reviews And my readers rave about them If people aren't going to get past book one None of that matters and I am actually seeing disappointing read-through rates at the moment. So it's like, right, I've done that re-editing, that recovering, I've got a new blurb. Is there anything else I can do right now to make that better? So it's 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 hard because you want to get to a point where that project is done and you bin it and move on. Um, but I think that book will, probably until I've got two series out, be the one that I come back to because that's the one that's guaranteeing me some sales, some read-through and, and the start of that sustainable income.
1: And interestingly, with the tainted crown, you've gone for mm-hmm. uh, well for Kindle at least. You've gone for a ninety-nine pence, stroke cents uh, yeah. price label. Now this is interesting because I've I've gone perma-free for a long time. I'm actually just moving into price now because um, I'm I'm okay. become aware of read-throughs, um, and, yeah. and that's very much interesting to me at the moment. So tell me mm. about your pricing strategy.
2: So it's. It's difficult because there's several options and you don't know which one's right, basically. You, you you can't ever road test them all at the same time to see which one is working. Um, so you can do book one as free and hope that you get a ton more readers picking it up because it's free and then reading through the rest of the series. Um, you can put it at 99 cents and sort of that kills off the freebie seekers. But again, 99 cents, people take a punt on it. And again, you, you're relying on that read through or you can go for a higher price book one, and you will definitely not get as many people picking it up because it's more of an investment. Um, but then the quality of reader you get will probably be better because they've paid two ninety nine for it or whatever. They're probably going to stick with you through the series. So it's a really sort of fine line of trying to figure out, well, actually, which is going to give me the biggest reader funnel to get people into that series? And I felt like for um, a, a relaunch with one, two, three books out, out that, I didn't want to go free um, because I don't believe free works anymore. Um, but I didn't want to go fully paid, so I thought ninety nine cents. That's that's a nice sweet spot. I'll try that, and it has
1: worked. And does it create that constant um, funnel of people buying? And are you putting them on um, you know what special offers? Are you doing deals on them as well to, to generate that action?
2: No. So again, this sort of comes with having the time off. I've I asked basically all my promotion. Um, ideas really for for two months it all just went on the shelf so it's sort of now I'm sort of picking up the pieces which unfortunately things have lost quite a bit of momentum um so rather than keeping building I'm now trying to get back to where I was um but next month I'm going to run run a perma free uh, sorry run a five-day free deal on book one um might not use all five days I'm not quite sure yet and I'll, I'll run some ad stacking with the likes of you know free see things like that Um, And I'm hoping that will give significant boosts to book one and I'll get some read through and visibility for the rest of the books with that.
1: The other thing that I've become um, incensed with is my inability to get a book bum, and, and that's been part of my pricing mm-hmm. <laughs> strategy because, um, like you, I've written in series of three, and that's all very yeah. well in terms of read-throughs and then you know, generating mm. reads from the first book. But I actually think yeah. the problem is you can't promote books two and three then in as uh, nope. uh, uh, standalones. That So yep. it's sort of damned if you do, down if you don't situation. Yeah. And, and I, There's I, no
2: point doing a 99 cents box set deal on a book club because well done you've just sold three books for 99 cents and they don't have anywhere to go in the series after that so it's you know when you write a trilogy you sort of it's great you've got that series out but you're also hampered in what promotion you can reasonably do
1: Absolutely, which is why I'm writing a series of standalones at the moment because I've got more to yeah. work with. You know? But don't you learn don't you learn all this blasted stuff as you go along Yeah, don't
2: you? <laughs> you do, but also the the, the reason I finished the Tented Crown series was because the worst thing you could do is start a series and not finish it. So either way I was committed. I had readers out there, I needed to finish it. So it's it's probably a good thing that it was free books because now it's done. Um and I'm moving on. I've got two series now starting and one of those is open-ended standalones um, and that's co-written and one of them is going to be about 24 books long so I'm really in this for a long haul.
1: Yeah I want to talk to you about co-writing actually because I noticed you co wrote a book <laughs> how, how did that one come about because uh, that's an interesting departure.
2: Yeah um I've had a friend and um Online, We've never met. She lives in Wales and she's absolutely lovely and known her online for a few years. We have very similar personalities. We write in similar styles. We write about similar sorts of things. Um, and we've sort of mentioned, oh, well, maybe we should work on a project. And it, this has been on and off for a couple of years and we've never really done anything about it. But with the advent of the success of writing, writing, um, and mainly here I'm thinking of Michael Anderley's Cutherian Gambit sort of whole world which is just amazing and um, the potential of that has made us both think well actually there's there's a real sensible business strategy in co-writing because we can produce twice as fast or basically each do half as much work we can put twice as much marketing power into it and hopefully end up both of us having a benefit to our career you know again it's this whole awful thing of we can work together and be greater than the sum of our parts
1: so how does co-working work because you don't get on with people in the work well not in the workplace sorry that you don't like working for the people <laughs> and and here you've got kind of like a semi-boss at least an equal partner in it how, how, how's that working out
2: um really well because so far we've agreed on everything um, and <laughs> maybe when we disagree <laughs> it might not be so good but it's it's nice to work with someone not for someone there's a difference when you're working towards a common goal and you're both really excited and and, and enthused about it there's just an energy and an electricity line that's just awesome it's been really really fun to do this and i'm already itching to dive back into the next book
1: how does it work at a practical level because i I, know I always just assumed people sat down and, and argued about every sentence how does it, how does it work
2: <laughs> um we're pretty independent to be honest um we did quite a lot of world building and set out a premise for the series um so we we sort of know the big picture and we've got our meta plot sorted but what we did was we each designed a protagonist, and she writes about her protagonist, and I write about mine, um, and we're alternating books. So I will write books, say, one, three, five. She's going to do two, four, six. Um, so we're writing very independently, um, editing each other's work, so we, we're sort of keeping that constant voice throughout the series. And um, if we if we do end up crossing over and doing a very um, collaborative joint book, which I I think might happen in a few books time that'll be a different working process but so far we, we sort of set out the basic plot we critique it and, and discuss it with each other and then whoever's writing it goes away and writes it and turns back a first draft and goes right what do you think
1: so is this what you're committed to now is this the project
2: uh, it's one of the projects yeah
1: okay What are <laughs> the others then
2: uh, the other the main project i'm working on is the morgana chronicles which is basically an arthurian retelling like you've never heard it before so it's told from the perspective of morgana le fay before she became morgana le fay um so it's it's complete departure from Caladan in that it's first person instead of third it's got a a fully sort of female protagonist instead of male and and i suppose there was like a secondary female character in, in the tainted crown um and it's it's going to be a a shorter work and um, some I'm looking to end the book's about 40,000 words. So again, I'm I'm sort of trying to put together all the best advice that I've had about co-writing, releasing fast, releasing often, doing shorter works um, and, you know, having great covers, great blurbs to, to try and sort of maximize the, the potential of the projects that I'm doing. So I'm basically wanting to write and release at least a book a month this year. I've, I think I've got about 13 more planned to come out this year. So Kinda of need to get get on with that. <laughs> oh,
1: blimey! And, and what about the covers? Which of the covers are you doing?
2: Um, so I ended up subcontracting out the Caledon redesigns because um, at the time it was better for me to invest the money rather than the time. I needed to focus my time on writing. Um, but actually, that that turned out to be a really really negative and frustrating experience that cost me probably more time than it would have done for me to do the covers myself. Oh, so no. yeah, so all the covers now I'm just doing them myself. As-
1: um yeah so without without naming names obviously i mean what what kind of went wrong with mm-hmm. that relationship because it is I, I know that when you order a cover you just yeah. there's an element always of just keeping your fingers crossed and thinking, i hope this is all right when it comes back
2: <laughs> yeah um he, he's an intelligent incredibly talented designer but the attention to detail wasn't there so you know i'm talking really shoddy copy and paste in and cuts and where images haven't been blended together and things like that and there's just sort of lines and edges and borders everywhere and blurry images are being used and it's not very sharp and it just the quality wasn't there i ended up having to spend hours and hours and hours repainting that work just to get it to what it was supposed to be but actually i I already want to redesign because it's not, not the quality that i had in mind but again in the the view of minimally viable product um it's sort of that's good enough for now stick it on let's go but yeah definitely want to redesign in future
1: well, speaking as somebody with no artistic ability whatsoever, uh, they do—they <laughs> look good to me. They look—they look great. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's—it's one way I've actually kind of kept the art going. So I've started a cover design business on the side as well, which helps keep the cash flow going month to month. Because obviously, KDP doesn't pay you between uh, until about sort of sixty to ninety days out. So I'm earning a nice little supplementary income from covers as well. And it's really nice to have that creative control over my own projects. Um, I'm pretty confident. I know I'm not the best cover designer. I will be one day. But I know what makes a good cover for my subgenres. And and it's great to be able to deliver a cover that hits everything that I want it to hit. But
1: but this is interesting, you see, because this is how I ended up going back to work three days a week. Because um, what I found Mm. is that I couldn't make the money from the writing, hopefully later but not now, uh, and and mm-hmm. I was te- I was doing other work for you. It's covers for me. It was um, teaching and corporate stuff, to training. And then mm-hmm. what I when I got to a point where I figured out that do you know what I might as well just do three days a week because I'm kind of doing this already. And then that takes care of the yeah. money, and then I can work on the writing for the rest of the time. And and, and so what I ended up doing is uh, effectively is, is you know dividing off the the kind of this is the work. This brings in the steady income. Uh, and then and then the bit that's a bit of a punt really which is always the writing it's always a bit of a punt that that yeah. bit because we um and do, do you think that that's what might happen to to you here that you see because you're always going to get cover orders aren't you that's going to be a, a steady mm. little business in many respects it's, it's easier than writing the books
2: yeah I kind of realized that this week I was like oh I could actually just make more money doing covers um but you know that's active income I've got a get a commission go and do it I get paid once you know we create a book that's our property for the rest of our life plus 70 years it's earning royalties for you know a long time so it's it's sort of the covers instant gratification but the fiction is that long-term career investment
1: so in terms of your time management then how how much of your week is going to be spent do you think um you know selling and making covers for other people and then how much do you think that is going to be um writing
2: I generally spend about an afternoon a week on covers. Um, If I'm stacked out with my own covers, maybe two afternoons a week. um, I spend most of the mornings writing, and the rest of the time is is sort of admin marketing, training, things like that.
1: And I think you're quite an early riser, aren't you? I'm sure I've seen you on Twitter at a ridiculous time of the morning Mm -hmm. like me. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm getting better at that. I actually went to Turkey last month, and because of the time difference, I was waking up at 6 a.m., British time. So when I came home, I just kept getting up at 6am. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of, again, it's that balance of personal time and working too hard and trying to cut down on the 13 hour days. So today I got up at seven and I went for a jog, um, and sort of eased into working at nine. So I'm thinking that might be a sensible way to sort of keep the, the personal health up, um, to get up early and, and do my exercise early in the morning. And I'm still at my desk bright and
1: early yes absolutely yeah so um in terms of writing then do you work to a a word Mm -hmm. count at the moment because you're you're going for the rinse and repeat method which is to get them out you know keep them a reasonable length and get them out fast what 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 are you writing a day what's your kind of target
2: um i'm again I'm, i'm sort of still getting over the being off for two months um writing is well it's like an exercise for the brain um if you don't use it you lose it. So before I was ill I was writing three thousand words a day comfortably. I was looking to up my goal to five thousand words a day. Um since I've started back I'm I'm sort of struggling to hit the three thousand words a day, but I'm not be beating myself up. There's enough flexibility in my deadlines to allow for a bit of slack and to sort of give me time to get back up to that that three thousand words a day. Um ideally I want to write fifty thousand words a month, um so nano remote basically, um, which is sub two thousand words a day. So it's You know, it's doable.
1: It should be achievable, yes, yeah. And then um, what about um, the editing process for you? Because you you said with the uh, co-written books, you were kind of editing them between yourselves. Are are you into a sort of write, edit, get the the cover done by other people, or how much of that are you going to do yourself?
2: Uh, So covers are going to be done by me just because I – I was hoping to subcontract that out, but I need the control over the projects to to know that they're going to be the best that that they can be, basically. Um, As for editing, um, at the moment, I generally tend to edit with other writers. So, you know, I edit their work, they edit mine. Um, It's more born out of budget constraints more than anything. And my final check is a, a, a lovely proofreader from the USA. I've used him since the beginning of the year and he reads everything for me now and he's really good gets everything back to me super fast um and and yeah it's really nice to have the same pair of eyes going over everything i write
1: how did you find that proofreader? just for people who are wondering where to find these people what did was it in a facebook group something like that
2: yeah recommended from 20 books
1: oh really fantastic
2: yeah yeah incidentally where i also found the cover designer from so you know not everything works out (laughs) but generally um the recommendations from 20 books have been
1: solid and that's an important point, though, because a lot of the time, um, it's like a well, you know, to, to, to use the analogy we've used, it's like a marriage that that you've got to be compatible, uh, and, and that's on both sides. Mm. You know, you, you uh, it has yeah. to be a, um, a a comfortable fit, and, and sometimes yeah. you know maybe there's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with the other person, it just doesn't quite gel. not Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think you have to work through that sometimes. Um, and you've probably been through it a few times, I would guess. But, you know, you've been at it for three years now. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. I mean, the first editor I found was exactly that. I'm sure she was great at her job, but you know what? We just didn't click, and I didn't end up hiring her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you yeah. Can, I think, and I think, I think you know, people listening to this who haven't done it before could learn from that. It's really important to get the relationship right. When you do, mm-hmm. it's like a marriage, isn't it? It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm really happy with with the people I work with now. It, it's awesome, um, definitely. And the more money I make from it, the more I can invest back into my projects and and start working with, um, you know, more professionals. So that that's going to be good.
1: The the other thing that you you do is you immerse yourself in the the sort of networking and and network building side of things. So you mentioned the twenty books to fifty K. I
2: I mean uh, you say immersing i'd say procrastination but we'll go with immersing that sounds more professional
1: <laughs> but, but but you're active in networks and, and yeah and every that's day. a good thing isn't it i think
2: yeah it helps keep the, the finger on the pulse because our business changes so fast i mean every week what's amazon done now is it page flip is it a new kdp dashboard it's oh, you know toss a coin amazon has amazon changed something this week yes or no what's it doing to my bottom line Um, I wouldn't find half that stuff out if I didn't network every day. And it's great to find new friends and be able to help other authors and learn from people who are ahead of me in the game. Um, Yeah, it's awesome.
1: So would it be fair to say you're getting most value from that 20 books site? Is that the best one at the moment or are there others you could recommend?
2: Uh, Pretty much, yeah, 20 books. The the people I chat to every day are the people out of 20 books. Um, I'm in the SPF groups as well. Uh, now, some of those are private because um, I've been on both the SPF 101 course, which is awesome, and the Ads for Authors course, which I'm sort of yet to implement. Um, so I'm in both of the groups of that are, you know, those are probably the most helpful ones that I have seen. And I tend to meet people out of, say, 20 books, and then we'll sort of form a little splinter group and we'll go and chat about, you know, book funnel promotions or we'll set up a little Insta freebie group or, you know, a group of fantasy authors or, this week, there's one for British authors, um, and you just meet all sorts of people. It's great. I've actually set up a meeting, a physical meeting of authors, uh, 20 minutes away from me in a couple of weeks, and it's like, yay, I get to meet actual people who write books instead of just chatting to them, you know, through a computer screen.
1: Yeah, I saw that. that that's really cool, actually, uh, that you could do that. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, so that, um and also I think 20 books are going to do a UK event uh, in London in yes. February, is that right?
2: Oh yes, they are. Um, yeah, I think I've been roped in to help organize that. So oh.
1: yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I'll see you there. Cause I'm, I've, I put that in the diary the minute I heard about it.
2: Oh, for sure. That's yeah. That was the first thing in my diary for next year, 20 books.
1: Because the community, and again, if you haven't found this community, I'll, I'll put a link on your show notes, Meg. I mean, it, it's the one I, it's mm. the community I'm getting the best value from at the moment where all the yeah. kind of serious authors are, I think.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I absolutely agreed. It, it, is an absolutely wonderful place to be it's just charged with motivation and positivity and success and aspirations it's it's brilliant
1: yeah brilliant fantastic and how did you find the amazon event in in manchester did you, what did you learn from that
2: um to be honest not a lot um it, it was very basic for me it was all the stuff that i'd sort of figured out a year or two ago um so it, it's an event that was really really useful for for newbies but not so useful for me i wanted to hear a lot more about book marketing and how to be a successful author and, and that's what I, I really didn't get from that. um but the networking was great it was really nice to meet people um i met ali who you've had on your podcast so i chat with her most days and that was the first time we'd met physically uh, i met you obviously we've chatted um quite a lot online i've been on the podcast before it was really nice to, to actually meet people in the flesh
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know whether you were like me, but I've been to two of those Amazon events now, and I know I'm sitting there thinking, well, how did they manage to do that? Because that those are quite old-fashioned mm. techniques that they're using there. Yes, we're, yeah, we're completely. All, we're all thrashing freebie and things like this, and I'm thinking, well, this must be something to do with timing, you know, when you yeah. entered the marketplace, because...
2: Completely agree. We couldn't yeah, do it I, now, could we? No, no. I, I think a lot of the success from the, the people who I heard from were people who got in early at the Kindle Gold Rush. You know, it was people who... It didn't need to to um employ the tactics that we now have to to just kind of stay afloat um not, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but certainly um less hard than it than it is now to succeed and I think that does help you in the long term if you get in early um you you're definitely definitely at an advantage in in whatever field whether it's audio books, Kindle, or anything
1: yeah, and that's absolutely not to take anything away from the authors but but just no, just no. listening to what my experience is i'm thinking i you know it just sounds like they released books and they were millionaires and just, just yeah it's not my experience We can't
2: identify it. yeah we can't identify with that now it's it's not that simple you know you've got to be incredibly incredibly lucky to become you know the amanda hocking or whoever um where it just happens you've got to you've got to put a lot of work and time into it i mean even Mike Glandley, who earns so much money um that i can't even conceive it he works so hard to to put books out and co-write that you know it doesn't come easily there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we don't see
1: but you see even even with michael i I must get him on this podcast um because uh, where does the initial impetus come from i mean you've been at this long enough i've been at this long enough to know that you know i always look at my reviews and i think well i can't be a terrible writer because you know they're four to five star reviews so given that i'm not horrendous um, and, and, and completely wasting my time what is it that where the wind just carries them off and off they go what you we know, what is that magic ingredient because i i can't fathom it out
2: consistency i it comes back to it time and time again but the people who are doing this really well are the people who are writing really good or at least doing well now they're writing really good books they are putting great covers on them they've got fantastic blurbs they're publishing fairly quickly They're building up great reader lists and they're engaging with them um, on a very human level. So it's not a customer that they're trying to sell to. It's a reader that they're, you know, a friend to um, a trusted person um, and and readers want to hear more of what they've got to say. They want to read their books Um, and they know, I think now it's becoming more crucial to know things like Amazon marketing, Facebook marketing. And it's the people who are writing the great books, putting them out there as great products and employing the best marketing strategies that are making the money. And we've got to try and catch up, basically.
1: (laughs) I I must ask you about your mailing list because I I read, I can't remember where it was, but I read a terribly painful... Uh, Post that you put where I think you lost all your mailing list or something like that yeah (laughs) I think you wanted to cry
2: yeah I was so mad that day (laughs) yeah Yeah. um I mean it was only about 100 people but it was the only 100 people that I had on my fiction mailing list and I was absolutely devastated and it was fine because like a week later I'd got like a few hundred from you know employing better tactics like insta freebie and, and newsletter swaps and stuff but like At that moment, I was like, oh, my life is over. I suck. This is never going to work. This is the worst day ever.
1: (laughs) What are you using now to manage your emails? Have you gone the MailerLite route?
2: Of course, yeah. Um, I'm on MailerLite MailerLite now, and I had quite a lot of teething problems, and it was a nightmare, but it's a great, great system to use now, and it's so affordable, especially with the InstaFreebie integration, that InstaFreebie pretty much pays for itself now, which is perfect.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I've been doing email marketing for years. And the minute I, mm. I took a little trial of uh, MailerLite, the minute I took one look at it, I thought, right, I'm having that. And that's great. I'm just, and I'm moving right over from, from <laughs> having been with GetResponse for years because it really is yeah. the marketer's tool. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's great.
2: The, the emails are so beautiful as well. This sounds really sad, but they make such pretty emails. <laughs> and that's what we need. You know, <laughs> we need we need emails that are visually appealing. So people want to open them, want to click on our things
1: so I hope you don't. So I worked
2: really hard on my automations. I've, I've redone my automations just this week, in fact, to to sort of update things.
1: Well, well done, you. It's on my list of things to do, and I know I've got to do it. I've got to do it, you know, ASAP. So painful. It <laughs> is painful, and I've got to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Thank, thank you for nagging me. Well, I have. I've spent the last hour poking at open wounds, um, uh, but I hope you don't mind because I think I think it's there's a lot to learn from your your journey, and 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 I, I do want to sort of I want to end on being positive because I, I think you're doing amazingly and I know you probably don't feel it um but you know as I watch <laughs> as, as I watch you from afar on, on social media I see you releasing and, and all of this it, it looks uh, amazing to me and I know you're doing the work um day in day out yeah you must have you know some success so let's just it, it's the third anniversary of you publishing that first book mm. um when this podcast runs yeah let's skip three years into the <laughs> future where are you going to be three years into the future from now?
2: Oh, ideally I'd like to be sort of on six, seven figures a year, um, have, have a massive backlist out that sells really well, have a really engaged sort of tribe of readers, um, still be sort of networking within the author sphere and, and just being able to, to live the life that I guess I've always wanted to, um, sort of free of that financial sort of worry and anxiety and um, being able to provide for my family and, yeah, just, I know every day is not a happy day sometimes I'm sure you hate writing too but generally speaking to be able to to live the life that I want to live every day you know and be happy what what more could you want from life I just want to say um because you say you're poking your open wounds and you know I've, I've ha- not had the best um sort of experience in the last year but the thing that I learned most from it going wrong was the fact that I had done it once and if I, I could do it once I could do it again um, I think it was Richard Branson who said the average entrepreneur goes through something ridiculous like seven businesses before they find the one that, that makes them. So everything, everything that we don't succeed at is something that fuels the thing that we will succeed at. So what didn't work for me last year is going to fuel something working for me in the future. And hopefully it's this.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.